Good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for being with us and for being seated without me telling you to. It's like we're really getting into a rhythm here. I'm so glad that you could be with us this morning here at Malvern Hill Baptist Church. My name is Craig Thompson. I am the senior pastor here and it is our distinct privilege to have you with us this morning. Let me give you just a couple of things. First off, please pay, uh, please pay attention to the announcements that are in your bulletin as those may be of a benefit to you. Um, I do want to remind you, I know Adam mentioned it, I like to double emphasize. If you're a guest with us this morning, please, please fill out that little card, little tear-off sheet on your, your worship folder there, or you can fill out a connection card online. Either one is good with us. If you fill it out on paper, drop it in the orange buckets at the back where you can also leave their $100,000 checks. We'll take those as well. And if you don't put a check with it, we are thrilled to death that you're here. We're just glad you're here. That's the offering we want from you, honestly, is just that you would let us know you were here so that we can drop a letter in the mail. And thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, also, if you're a guest with us today for the first time, the second time, or the 15th time, if Malvern Hill seems like the kind of place that you might like to make a home, uh, I want to invite you to come be a part of our Next Steps class. We try to do these about once a month. We are meeting this afternoon at 4 o'clock. I lead those classes. There's no commitment that comes. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about what our church is, what we believe, where we're headed, and what we're about. You have a chance to ask me any questions. You won't stump the pastor if you want to, all those other things. Uh, we'll meet at 4 o'clock. If you're interested in being here, I'll actually meet you up here in the sanctuary because the place where we will land for our, our gathered meeting will depend more than anything on how many of y'all show up. So um, I will meet you up here. They, they will welcome you with song because the praise team will be practicing, and it'll be a fun time for us all. So I hope that you'll be here. All right, if you have your Bible, I just realized I did not type my text. Somebody tell me, it's 2 Kings, see if I can remember it, 2 Kings chapter 2. I'm looking, someone tell me if I'm right or wrong. I'm, I'm there, 2 Kings 2, the call of Elisha, 1 through 14, is that right? Did I get it? Somebody? I'm looking at you. That's good. All right. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 through 14. Mercy. All right. Remember, we've been working our way through the Bible. Okay. We started in Genesis. Uh, for those of you that are keeping up, we have been reading through the scriptures together as a church. We are preaching through the scriptures together on Sunday morning. We're going through, those of you that follow our sermon-based discipleship in your life groups are working through the scriptures on Sunday morning in life group. We're even using our Wednesday nights to hit some of the highlights in between the stuff that we're missing on Sunday mornings. For some of you, it's been really exciting because it's the first time you've ever read through the Bible. And uh, for me, it's, it's, I don't know, the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th time I've read through the Bible. I'm going to tell you something. I got something this morning out of God's Word that I've never gotten before. It's such a blessing to me. So I hope that you're, you're digging in. I know that you're growing. I know you're learning if you're doing that. So I do invite you and thank you. Uh, and, and remember, if for some of you go home and you go, man, Craig, you, you really didn't get where I thought you'd be. Listen, when we're reading the Bible this fast, and it is fast, you're eating a lot of God's Word at one time when you're covering it all in a year, we're going to hit the highlights, okay? Uh, and, and there's going to be some stuff that I'm going to miss. It's not because it's not important. It's just because y'all will only give me about 30 to 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. And beyond that, we're out of luck. So we've got to sort of hit and pick what we're going to. And so when it came to time to preach this morning, listen, we couldn't get into Kings 
and not deal with Elijah and Elisha. There's a lot that happens in First and Second Kings, but folks, we've got to deal with Elijah and Elisha because Elijah might be, as one commentator said, the most romantic figure that Israel ever produced. He is the prophet par excellence. When you think about a prophet, folks, we think about Elijah. And when the people in Jesus' day were looking for Jesus to come back, they were looking for somebody looking like Elijah to show back up because Elijah left an indelible mark. And yet, we're going to see this morning is that Elisha had a double portion of God's Spirit. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. And let's read 2 Kings chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha, and they said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted on the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you've asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them in two pieces, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other and Elisha went over. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would speak to us in the power of Elijah. Lord God, in the power of Elijah, Lord God, that the same Holy Spirit of God that worked so miraculously in these men, God, is at work among us today. We pray that you would work in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Y'all, before I jump in, as I was reading this just now, there is something that I wish we had time to explore, and we just don't. But can we, can we speak just a minute about the friendship, the love that existed between these two men? Elijah says, you stay here. And Elijah says, no, 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 if you're going, I'm going. You are a blessed human being if you have people who will walk with you when you tell them to stay away. And let me tell you something. You need to be the kind of person that walks with people when they tell you to stay away because the time they need you the most is the time they want you the least. Don't ever forget that. All right, a double helping. How should I serve the Lord? We tend to think about, well, we don't tend to think, but we think about the British invasion 
of the U.S., not only for the Revolutionary War, we think about it right in rock and roll. The, the, the Beatles came, they were on Ed Sullivan, right? And there they were, and, and they took the world by storm. What most of us don't understand is that before the Beatles came west, the Americas had gone east. Before the British could invade the U.S. with their own distinct sound of rock and roll, it was actually necessary that much of American rock and roll make it to the UK. The problem was it was not mainstream here. When an interviewer asked the Beatles what they were looking forward to visiting in America, they answered Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley. And when the interviewer stupidly said, where's that? John Lennon's indignation flattened the guy. Don't you even know your own music? The people that made the Beatles, that influenced them, were unknown in the United States largely because of prejudice. And it wasn't just racial prejudice. Much of what was influencing them was coming from places like small rural southern communities. And there was this, this prejudice against the South and against the poor to such a degree that those who were gaining notoriety in the UK were unknown in the United States. Those who had... All of the trappings of stardom, all the trappings of musical success were still sweeping floors and cleaning cars and playing for quarters and dirty bars because we did not understand. We didn't know. Folks, when it comes to our service for the Lord, I'm just curious for you this morning, before we even get to the question of how should you serve the Lord, can I ask you this question? Would you be willing to serve the Lord if it amounted to nothing in the world's eyes? Would you be willing to serve Him? Think about that as we ask this question. How should I serve the Lord? This picture of Elijah and Elisha gives us a great idea, a great illustration for how it is that we should serve Him. The text we read this morning tells us about the end of Elijah's ministry and the beginning of Elisha's role as sort of the chief prophet of Israel. Now, this text doesn't tell us a lot about uh, Elisha. As a matter of fact, this text doesn't yet tell us about the calling of Elisha. We're going to see that in just a minute. But we need to know a little bit about Elijah before we get there. Okay, I need to give you all a warning. This is one of those sermons where it's kind of front heavy. We're loaded on the front. So I don't want you all to start tuning me out if point one gets super long. Okay, we, we'll, we'll make it up on the back end. But we need to know a little bit about Elijah. He was a prophet to Israel. Now, Israel is the northern kingdom. If, if you know through your reading or maybe through Sunday school once upon a time, the, the nation of Israel divided into two parts after Solomon's rule. Solomon began, as we saw last week, with great wisdom. He did everything right for a while, and then he married all these foreign wives, and then he began to chase after all these foreign gods. And when he died, he died far from the Lord. And after Solomon, we, can't, we, we, we come to his son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam was a moron. There's, there's really not a kind way to say this about him. He, he, he steps up to, to the plate as king. He's got all of everything laid out in front of him. He's literally been given the picture of privilege. All you got to do is not mess this up. Solomon's advisors come to Rehoboam and they say, Rehoboam, your daddy was tough on us, but look, we've, we've achieved a lot of great things. I'm going to tell you what we need you to do. We need you to back off for just a little while. Rehoboam goes and says, all right, I heard what you had to say. And then Rehoboam calls up his buddies that he went to high school with. He's like, hey, Johnny, what do you think we should do? And Bo, don't listen to him. He's an idiot. You tell them, you tell them that your little finger is bigger than your daddy's thighs. If they thought they had it bad, just wait till you get there. Well, of course he did. And of course, what happened? The, the nation divided. 
Okay? Because nobody, nobody should lead that way. Great leadership is servant leadership, and Rehoboam thought he could bully people to get his way. Of course, that didn't happen. The nation divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is the ten tribes that became known as Israel. The southern kingdom is the one tribe of Judah. Okay? Rehoboam continues to reign in Judah for a little while. We go through a couple of transitions there. But then in Israel, Israel has this period of terrible kings. People just don't serve the Lord. They don't love the Lord. They don't do the right things. And in the midst of all of that, there's a terrible need. The people are falling away from the Lord. The Bible says that without prophetic vision, the people run rampant or they cast off restraint or they perish. The northern kingdom was a land without prophetic vision. Jeroboam was the first king of the northern kingdom. And after him, things went from bad to worse. The kings were evil. They didn't serve the Lord. And they laid or they led the people of Israel far away from the Lord. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent Elijah. And Elijah brings the prophetic vision back to Israel. Now, we don't know much about Elijah. Matter of fact, I've got my jeans and boots on this morning as a little sermon illustration for everybody. Elijah and Elisha are blue-collar prophets. Okay, Elijah is a man of the desert. Um, we don't know much about him except that he ate grasshoppers, locusts, right? Uh, wore a, a cloak of camel's hair and a, and a little rough belt. This was a rough-looking guy. Listen, when Elijah walked up to the king, nobody was like, oh, here comes Sir Elijah. They were like, who is this bum? And he rose up in there and he was like, hey, king, you don't know what you're doing, but the Lord is going to tend, tend to business right here. And he sent me to tell you that we, he's going to starve this place of water until he gets ready. All right. So Elijah is this powerful prophet of the Lord. And God sent Elijah to call the people back. The king was not doing his job, but God who is rich in mercy is not satisfied to allow his people to languish without vision. So God sends, sends somebody. Isn't that something? They're living in active rebellion to the Lord, but God sends somebody with a word from the Lord. Elijah goes, and of course, Elijah's ministry is one of power. Elijah's ministry is, is one of, of these power encounters. Um, he was not perfect, but he was faithful. And so Elijah warns. Now, Ahab is this terrible human being. He's married to a woman who is also a terrible human being. And these two human beings are terrible to all the other human beings. And these two worship these foreign gods. And Elijah, you all know the story, right? Elijah, finally, God's had enough. He says, Elijah, I want you to go handle this. Elijah goes and he says, look, we're going to send rain. God's going to send the rain. But before God sends the rain, we're going we're to sort things out once and for all. So he calls this guy and he says, hey, I want you to tell, I want you, Obadiah, I want you to go and tell the king that he needs to come see me. And he's like, all right. So the king comes in. You know, you know you're the man when you look like Craig Thompson and the king comes to see what you got to say. You understand? The king shows up to this dude living out in the desert, out in the brook, eating grasshoppers. And he comes up and he says, is that you, you troubler of Israel? He says, that's right, it's me, king. Probably wasn't exactly like that. And what happens? He says, listen, you tell your people to be on Mount Carmel. I'm going to come to Mount Carmel. Y'all bring a couple sacrifices. We're going to settle this once and for all. The God who answers by fire, he is the one true God. And you know the story. Elijah is an absolute jerk, right? He is. Don't, don't miss that. We, we, we tend to, remember, we tend to G-rate G the Bible and everything we read. And we go, well, Elijah was on Mount Carmel and he spoke to the people. Listen, he's making fun of them. They're up there, they've, they've cut their sacrifice, they've got it laid on the altar, and they begin crying out to their God, they begin cutting themselves, and Elijah says what? He says, maybe you should yell louder, maybe he's asleep, or maybe he's off on a journey. He even says this, maybe he's using the bathroom. 
course, nothing happens. They flail, they dance, they scream, they yell. After a little while, Elijah says, this is getting to be too much. And he calls and has water poured on it. And Elijah prays a simple prayer. Why is it that Elijah's prayers are so simple? Because Elijah needs everybody to know that it's not Elijah who brings this about, but it's the God who hears Elijah's prayer. This is what's so powerful about faith. People are like, faith saves me. Your faith doesn't save anything. Jesus saves you, right? Our faith is just giving up and letting him do his work. Elijah calls out to the Lord. The Bible says that the Lord answers by fire, consumes everything, licks up the water. The prophets of Baal are routed. But then Elijah, because he's human and frail, Elijah does what? Elijah has this great victory. How many of you have ever had a great victory in the Lord only to find yourself in an inter- incredible defeat on the backside of it? That's what happens with Elijah. This is great victory. He's exhausted. He's worn out. The Bible says Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah's like, man, I got to go. Now, he's just seen the Lord do this incredible thing. He's called fire from heaven. And this woman says, I'm going to kill you. He tucks tail and runs and hides. Listen, that's just a little bit of Elijah's story. Shortly after all that, of course, the Bible gives us a picture. What does the Lord do? The Lord preserves Elijah. The Lord preserves Elijah. He feeds Elijah. He feeds Elijah in these incredible ways. He sends birds to feed him. We were talking about this in the office the other day. Adam said, you know, I could probably handle a lot of things. I'm just not sure I'd be okay eating with what, like, a crow brings me. I said, man, you've got to step up to the plate. But the Lord provides for him. He gets everything that he needs. And over time, Elijah kind of comes out of hiding, and he begins his ministry again. And, and, and the ministry of Elijah, it doesn't continue to be quite as, quite as ex- extraordinary, but he, he's still a man of great power, and, 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 and his words carry great weight. But one of Elijah's greatest gifts to Israel was not just this prophetic word. One of Elijah's greatest gifts to Israel was his discipleship of a young man, or a man, I don't know how old he was, named Elisha. Elijah knew he couldn't serve forever, so he found a suitable replacement. And it's that replacement, Elisha, that we're going to spend most of our time talking about this morning. I told you we're weighted heavy on the front end. That brings us to our very first point. Elijah passes his ministry off to this guy named Elisha. And it's in this place that we begin to get an idea of what it looks like for us to serve the Lord. And so this morning we started in 2 Kings chapter 2, but I'm going to ask you to turn the page back just a little bit to 1 Kings chapter 19. And I want to read to you the call of Elisha. We've seen Elijah's propulsion into ministry, but this is how it all begins. 1 Kings 19, beginning in verse 19. The Bible says, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen, he ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following, and he took the yoke of oxen, and he sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and he gave it to the people, and they ate, and he arose, and he went after Elijah, and he assisted him. How should you serve the Lord? Folks, let me tell you, the first thing you need to do if you're going to serve the Lord is you need to attach yourself to God's people. You need to attach yourself to God's people. The Bible says Elijah's walking by the way. Here's this dude working. He's plowing. Elijah, Elijah, Elijah takes off his, his coat right? It wasn't a cool coat like this one. What was it? It was even cooler. It was a cape, right? When we read mantle, that's what it was. He takes off his cape. So it's like Batman walks up and he sees this guy plowing. He goes and he gets up beside him and he throws it on him. He keeps on walking. This is how weird Elijah is, okay? 
Like, prophets are strange birds. He's a strange guy. He keeps on walking. Elisha says, oh, well, let me. Oh, I got a cord wrapped around me. I knew I shouldn't have done this. Elisha says, hold up. Let, let, me, let, me, let me go talk to my daddy. And my, let me tell my mama bye. Elijah says, I ain't done anything. He keeps on moving. Here's what Elijah says. He says, Elisha, that's not for me to decide, brother. You do you. I'm going to do me, but this is where the Lord's taking me. Folks, when we get ready to pursue the Lord with our lives, we get ready to follow the Lord, we've got to be willing to attach ourselves to God's people. It's here that we really start getting into the meat of what is about in, in Elisha's life. We don't know much about Elijah's call. We don't know much about his training. We, we don't know much about Elisha's really, but what we do know about Elisha is this. When the Lord called him, he listened, he obeyed, and he attached himself to God's people. Right then, right there on the spot. He was working, he was busy, but when the Lord called him, he got busy about the Lord's business. He dropped what he was doing. He sacrificed, literally sacrificed. And he went after Elijah and he assisted him. How can you serve the Lord? Pattern, the pattern of Elisha can and should be yours and mine. Elisha attached himself to a man of God and assisted him, served alongside him. Do you want to grow as a follower of Jesus? Three things will do more good for you than anything else in the world. Number one, read God's word regularly. Number two, pray to the Lord. And number three, attach yourself to God's people. Now, listen, attaching yourself to God's people is not more important than the other two. But I will be honest with you, in many ways it is as important as the other two. And this is why. When you attach yourself to God's people through a local church, and especially in a life group, you expose yourself to accountability and community. i got a good friend of mine that's lost a whole bunch of weight recently. I mean, like 50 pounds. And I, honestly, I didn't know until recently exactly what happened, but he, he shared with another friend of his that he needed to lose some weight. He said, I'd like to lose some weight. And this guy looked at him. He pulled out a piece of paper and said, how much you want to lose? He said, what do you mean? He said, how much you want to lose? Well, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd love to lose 75 pounds. I don't know if that's possible, but if I, could, if I could lose 50, that'd be pretty good. He wrote the number down. He said, by when? I don't know, maybe, maybe by July. He wrote it down. Okay, boom, got it. Accountability right there on the spot. I bet you he didn't want that, right? Most of us are like, I think I ought to lose some weight. How much you want? Oh, I don't know. I'm not serious about it. I also want to eat a donut. I mean, do you know you get a free Krispy Kreme donut with your vaccination card? Do y'all know this? Every day for a year, right? The number one thing that will cause you to die from COVID is being overweight. The number one thing that Krispy Kreme will do to you is make you fat if you get the shot. This is America. Listen, this joker gets accountability. Somebody, I don't, I, and I don't know what happened for me. I don't know if he started calling him on the phone. Hey, did you lose, did you lose your 50 pounds yet? What'd you have for lunch? What'd you have for breakfast? You know what happened? At four months, he's lost 50 pounds. In four months. How'd he do it? Somebody wrote it down and gave him a date, called him to the carpet. Well, that's what accountability looks like. It's not mean. Can, can we just understand that accountability is not mean? When somebody looked at him and said, how can I help you? That wasn't ugly. That wasn't mean-spirited or haughty or prideful. He just said, I want to help you. I love you, brother. You got children. I, I, I want you to be healthy, be able to play with your kids when you're 70. This is, this is part of what... what, what 
being a, attached to God's people in a local church, it provides us with accountability. I walk in and I say, you know what? Listen, I, I recognize as a follower of Jesus, I should be treating my employees better than I am. I'm, I'm, I'm not very kind to them. My, my mouth gets ahead of my, my, or maybe my ego outruns my mouth. I don't know what it is, but I just know that I should be doing a better job. And somebody looks at you and goes, I'm going to ask you next Sunday if you yelled at any of your employees. Whoa, 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 I didn't ask you to do that. Well, no, you said you wanted to be better. I want to help you. I'm right here. For you, that, that's accountability. So, so that's, that's part of it. But the other thing is that when we're attached to God's people, when we're reading God's word, there's accountability in that, right? If we're reading through the Bible together as a church, you're showing up at Life Group on Sunday morning, you're talking about what you read last week, and so you, you're going, I, I, better, I better look at this because when I get in there tomorrow morning, somebody's going to ask me. <laughs> but there's also the privilege of reading in community. And when we read God's Word in community, it keeps us from making egregious errors. I got a call from a, a pastor the other day. I've been trying to, to, to help him. He's, he's got a, a, a church member who is convinced that Christians need to follow the Old Testament law. And he called me. He said, Craig, I've never heard of this. I laughed at him. I said, brother, I've been there. He says, well, what do I do? I said, will he talk? Yes. He's, he's, then, then read through the word with him. Spend time. But, but let me tell you how this, this brother got to that place. He got to that place by not being attached to Christian community where he could bounce these ideas off. He got to that place because he was attached to the worst kind of Christian community, which is excluded from physical, real-world people and isolated with uh, digital people. Because, look, I can jump online and I can find any group on Facebook or chat room or whatever that, that identifies any particular weird strand of, of pseudo-Christianity that I want to be a part of, right? It's like, I want, I want to be, find the, the group for Christians who have a graying beard and a receding hairline and, you know, bad knees or something. And there's a group there that's for, you understand, I mean, it's, it gets crazy, but there, there are these groups that would exist. Listen, when we're reading these things in community, though, all of a sudden, somebody says, Brother, I, I read the same thing you read last week, and that ain't what I got at all. It's not what I got. I, one, of my, one of our members caught me out in the community this week. I loved it. He said, Pastor, I've, I've been spending some time thinking about the Lamb's Book of Life. And he said, I believe, and he threw out this, this, this theory. He's come, I won't, I won't say it out loud, because in all honesty, I ain't thought through it yet. I hadn't wrestled with it. But I said, Brother, I, I've never thought of it that way. He said, I'd like you to tell me if you think it's right or wrong. He said, I'd, I'd like for us to talk about it. What do you think? I don't, I don't want to be out to lunch right here. That's what reading the Bible in community looks like. It's, it's enough, enough humility to say, hey, maybe, I don't know everything. And together we're going to arrive at the truth. If you want to grow in Christ, you attach yourself. If you want to live for the Lord and serve Him, attach yourself to God's people. Listen, it's okay if you feel uncomfortable or even if you don't feel like you fit in. First of all, there's a whole bunch of people that are just like you or who were like you a year ago or two years ago or three years ago. Okay? Listen, it's okay. Fake it till you make it. It's all right. Show up at worship. Walk in here like you know what you're doing. We're okay with that. Some of us don't even know how we got here this morning. We've been fighting youngins all day. But also, just know this. I, I appreciate, I, I think, I'm going to pick, I think Brian's one that says this. He likes to say this to people. He's, he invites somebody to church, and, 
and he says, hey, is, you, is your family pretty, pretty, pretty close to perfect? And he waits a minute. He says, because if, if you got everything figured out, like you're not welcome here because we are a messed up bunch of people. Now just understand that that person that you're looking at like they know everything, they got a long way to go. I remember two, two more stories before we move on. I remember having, having a man come to me and he was battling an addiction. And he walked in and he said, I just look at Mr. So-and-so and I'm just so ashamed because I know who I am and I see who he is. And I literally laughed in his face. I didn't mean to. I, caught my, I, like I couldn't catch myself because he didn't know the story that I knew that was my favorite story about that man who talked about being so convinced even in his sin that he was going to be with Jesus that he's snorting lines of cocaine on his picnic table telling people he was going to heaven. He looked at me and he said, well, that can't be him. I said, of course it's him. But the Lord saved him and delivered him from all of that. Man, it was a breakthrough moment for that guy. He said, we got people that are leading in our church that wrestled addictions? I said, yes, sir. Two years from now, that can be you. It's okay if you don't have it all figured out. We'll help you. We'll walk with you. And it's okay if you feel like you don't fit in. You guys remember Zane Pratt. Some of you have been here long enough. Zane works with the International Mission Board. He came and preached for us several years ago. Um, and Zane is about this tall. Some of y'all liked him because he's bald-headed. Um, he was a seminary professor of mine. Uh, he, and I, he and I used to work out together. But Zane's, one, one of my favorite things about Zane, he, he's, he's, he's been all over the world, right? He great, has these great stories about being in caves in, in Afghanistan with freedom fighters and things like this and trying to share Jesus with them. But as he approached 60 years old, he decided at, at like 59 years old that he wanted to take up competitive powerlifting. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense for a guy that's about five foot eight, 160 pounds, but that's what he wanted to do. And so he started showing up at these master's events. He knew absolutely nothing. He had worked out his whole life, but he walks in, and, and, and I loved what he, he said. Craig, it was, it was the most welcoming environment I've ever been in. He said, I didn't know anything. All these big burly guys that knew so much more than me, he said, but they just welcomed me, they coached me up, they helped me. Folks, if, if, if we are doing our job as the church, then that's what we look like. Somebody walks in, they ain't got it figured out. And we just say, it's all right, we're going to work with you together. Attach yourself to God's people. Elisha attached himself to Elisha. What was Elisha doing? Plowing. Plowing. When you think about prophets, do you think plowing? No, we don't, do we? I got these jeans and boots on today to remind you that Elijah and Elisha would have been very uncomfortable in my office. But God had a purpose for them, just as they were. Elisha attached himself to Elijah, and he learned what it was to be God's man. The second thing, pray big prayers. Look at Elisha's prayer there in 2 Kings chapter 2. Elisha, what do you want? In verse 9, Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Elijah says, what do you want? Elisha says, I want it all and then some. What? Who is this guy? It's a guy who knows what he wants. Remember, we're looking on the heels of Solomon praying for wisdom. Solomon has this sort of, God, just make me smart, make me wise. Elisha says, God, I want it all. God, I see what Elijah did. Lord God, I want double that. What does Elijah say? You know what Elijah didn't do? He didn't reprimand Elisha. Isn't that something? He did not reprimand Elisha. Now, this isn't a prayer of Jabez's sermon. If you don't know what that is, you can look that up. But I want you to know, if you want to serve the Lord, attach yourself to God's people, but pray some big prayers. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How do we proceed to the throne of mercy? With confidence. If you want to serve the Lord, start praying big prayers. My children don't have a problem making big asks of their father. One of my children asked one of my family members for a cruise ship one time. Okay? To his credit, he priced them before he said no. Elijah said, look, I, I don't... What does he say? I, I, I don't know if you're going to get this. He said, but let's just let's see what the Lord does. He says, look, if you, if you get to see me going away, then we're going to see that as God's answer to your prayer. What are the things you believe keep you from faithfully and effectively serving the Lord? What are the things in your life that are keeping you from faithfully and effectively serving the Lord? Have you prayed for the Lord to remove those things? Are they big things? Are they small things? Have you prayed? Like one of these big, ugly, audacious kind of prayers. Is it habitual sin? Pray for the Lord to deliver you. Say, Craig, you don't understand. Craig, I've, this has been my whole life. I don't understand you, but I know him. This is the guy that gave Elisha a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Is it pride? Pray for deliverance. Are you shy? I, I know that I should be sharing my faith, but I, I, I don't like talking to people. I don't even like people, really. I like to hide in my house. Pray for the Lord to give you boldness. And haven't we heard those stories of the guy called to preach, but he stuttered? He prayed, Lord God, I know you called me to preach. And the Lord delivers him from that. Are you scared? Pray for power. Whatever it is, remember the prayers of a guy like George Mueller. George Mueller ran an orphanage in London. And George Mueller famously never asked anyone for money. George Mueller had this saying. He said, I'm not going to ask man to give me anything. I'm going to ask God, and God's going to tell man, and they're going to give us what we need. And you these unbelievable experiences of George Mueller when they were running out of food in the orphanage, and they're praying that the Lord God will meet their need. And the milk truck breaks down outside the orphanage, right? In a day before refrigeration. So what do they have to do? They have to unload all the milk and the children got everything that they needed because the Lord provided. Would you pray a big prayer? Would you pray a bold prayer? What if your prayers are just what you need for the Lord to answer them? Maybe God hasn't answered your prayers because you haven't asked. You have not because you asked not was the, story, or the, the, the message of the book of James. What are the things that are keeping you from serving the Lord? Is it your job? Have you prayed for the Lord to change that? Is it your friendships? Have you prayed for the Lord to redeem those friendships? Is it your social calendar? Have you prayed for the Lord to give you eyes to see it in a different light? What's consuming you? Have you prayed for the Lord to set you free? Pray bold prayers. Pray big prayers. When's the last time you prayed for the Lord to save somebody that in your mind, if you had to say it, you'd honestly, honestly just think off the top of your head they were unsaved. When's the last time you prayed for the Lord to save them? I'm going to tell you something. The Lord answered a big prayer for me that I've been praying for eight years. He answered this week. This week. Unbelievable for me. Some of y'all have already heard me tell this story. It blows my mind. Eight years. 
The Lord answered it this week. When I started praying it, it was a really big prayer, folks. But the Lord answered it this week. Pray big prayers. And then trust God's leading. We're going to take a real left turn here. In the 1980s, Michael Jackson wrote a song called Smooth Criminal. The repeated refrain in that song is, Annie, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? Y'all know that? Don't start singing it when you got time. All right? It's thought that this song was actually inspired by a CPR course that Michael Jackson took. Some of y'all aren't old enough to figure out how that would be. In those days, the CPR mannequin used was called Resuscitation Annie. Huh? Now you're getting it. Yeah. And so they were trained to slap that mannequin around and say, Annie, are you okay? Are you okay? But who was Rescue Annie? The face of Rescue Annie was based off of a real person. But we actually have no idea who that person was. The mannequin was developed by a Norwegian toy maker and two physicians, one uh, Czech and one American. The face was based off of, you ready for this, a famous death mask made of a woman who was supposedly pulled out of the river Seine in Paris. The mask became known as a piece of art called, and I'm going to try my best to pronounce this in French. I tried to get help this morning and I'm going to murder it. But it's, it's something along the lines of L'Inconnu de la Seine. In the early 20th century, this mask was copied multiple times, and the smile on the mask was even compared to the smile of the Mona Lisa. We have no idea who this woman is. As a matter of fact, we don't even know for certain if the story about her is correct. We don't know for sure if she was actually a young, maybe 16-year-old girl who had drowned in the sign and was pulled out and this cast was made by the medical examiner in Paris. It's possible that this was actually a model um, that posed for this mask to be made and that the story surrounding it grew up completely out of whole cloth. We don't know who she is, but we do know that this woman whose identity is lost to history has been saved, used to save countless lives. Elisha received a double portion of the Spirit and a half a portion of the notoriety. We started this sermon off talking with you about all the things that Elijah did. Can I talk to you about some of the things Elisha did? Saved an axe head, right? Transformed some poisonous soup into something people could eat. Did this little thing with some oil one time. What, what, what did Elisha do? Look, it's not like if they're sitting around. Y'all ever been in that? Okay, ladies, y'all probably are better than, than men about this, okay? Men like to one-up one another's stories, and I am awful about that. I will just go ahead and tell you. I, 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 don't y'all shake your heads at me. Y'all are no better than me. Um, and maybe ladies are better than this, but, but I mean, men, we like to sit around and, oh, yeah, well, let me tell you this one. Well, let me, listen, if Elijah and Elisha are sitting around telling stories, Elisha just, just hushed. He's like, I saved an axe head. And Elijah's like, really? All you got's axe head? All right, well, there was this one time. No, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I don't want to hear anything. You got nothing to offer. Francis Schaeffer wrote a little book called No Little People, and he dedicated an entire chapter to the differing lives of Elijah and Elisha. See, everyone remembers the name of Elijah 
I was talking to my kids about my sermon last night over dinner. That's what you get when you're the pastor's family. It's like, hey, let me tell you what I want to preach. I'm like, great, we got to hear it once. Now we're going to hear it again. Listen, like my little ones, they, they know who Elijah is, but they think Elisha is just a mispronunciation of Elijah. You understand? I mean, it's bad enough that he can't even get like his own real name. He's literally the cheap imitation. And yet the Bible said he had a double portion. A double helping. If this was mashed potatoes, there was more on his plate than he could possibly eat. Everyone remembers the ministry of Elijah, but the ministry of Elisha was no less important. Let me ask you this this morning. If you would serve the Lord, are you willing to trust God's leading? How can I serve the Lord? You're going to have to serve the Lord right where He puts you. And He might not put you in the place that He puts some other people. He might not put you in the place that He, that he puts somebody you know or your friend. That Francis Schaeffer book with his chapter about Elijah and Elisha was sent to me by a good friend of mine. He's a pastor. He pastors in the mountains of North Carolina. He's a good pastor. He's a good man. He's a smart guy. He's got a twin brother who's also a pastor. Who's also a good man, a good pastor, and a smart guy. One of them pastors a church. Now look, they came out of the same house. They actually started ministry in the same church. One of them pastors a church in the mountains of North Carolina. The other one's pastoring a mega church up in the heart of North Carolina. Occasionally that creates some difficulty for one of them, as you might imagine. He needs to be reminded sometimes that Elisha had a double portion. He was no less important. He's had a different role to play. Where's the Lord sent you today? What opportunities has the Lord put in your path? Listen, yours might not get flashed in neon lights like somebody else's. Let me tell you this. The opportunity the Lord gave you, he's given to nobody else, and it's your responsibility to tend to it. What if Elisha hadn't saved that axe head? Who else was going to do it? Nobody. Nobody. What if Elisha hadn't fixed the stew? Who else? Nobody. What if you don't share the gospel with your neighbor? Who else is going to do it? Maybe nobody. You say, I'm in a dead-end job, doing a dead-end job, doing a dead-end job for somebody else. Well, maybe the Lord's got you there because he's got a particular purpose for you being in that particular place. Have you ever thought about that? If you're going to serve the Lord, folks, I'm going to tell you something. It's going to require us to be humble enough to trust the Lord's leading for us to serve him right where he puts us, right when he puts us there, and right in the way that he wants us to serve him. You might not get rich doing it. Maybe the case that nobody else ever knows about it. You guys don't know a man's name, his name or man, but his name is Randy Wilson. Y'all don't know Randy Wilson at all. You got no reason to know Randy Wilson. I haven't seen Randy Wilson's dead, been dead for 10 years or more. And I haven't seen him in probably 20. But Randy Wilson matters in my life. Randy Wilson matters because he taught me Sunday school when I was in about the fourth grade. All right? He was a part of my home church when I was growing up. He actually left my home church later in my life. But before he did, I, I had surrendered to God's call to ministry in my life. And what I didn't know until my dad ran into him one day. My dad called me. So I ran into Randy Wilson today. I said, oh, how is he? He said, he's good. He wanted me to call and tell you he prays for you every day. 
Y'all don't know Randy Wilson. I hadn't talked to him in 20 years, but he prayed for me every day. Every day. What ministry had the Lord given to him? Apparently, he had just burdened him to pray for me every day. What does that mean? Some of y'all probably came to Jesus here because Randy Wilson was praying for me there. Isn't that something? He was faithful to honor the Lord, to serve Him right in the place He had given Him. So this morning I just ask you, how should you serve the Lord? Humbly, boldly, faithfully? How do we serve the Lord? Folks, the first thing I would urge you to do is don't wait. Don't wait. I started that story earlier. My buddy that lost 50 pounds. How many times he had said he was going to lose weight? A bunch. But he never did start until somebody looked at him and said, let's start today. What are you waiting on? Start serving the Lord today. Attach yourself to God's people. If you don't have a church, we'd love to have you. And I'll just be honest, if this isn't your church home, like, like if this isn't going to be where you're going to be, I just want you to find somewhere to be. We would love to have you, but if this isn't it, then find somewhere where you can put down roots, attach yourself to the people of God. And don't just show up occasionally. Like Dig in, get to know somebody. So you can read God's Word in a community. You can have some real accountability. Pray some big prayers. Lord, would you remove this obstacle from my life? See, that's a scary prayer, isn't it? Because a lot of times the obstacles are the things we like. And then trust God's leading. When I surrendered to the Lord's call to ministry, I was young. I was was 18, 19 years old. And I'd been wrestling with that call for many years. Well, a few years. And, and I'll be honest, like in my brain, I had finally decided at some point I'm going to give up. At some point I'm going to lose this fight. There's this, this line from a Shane and Shane song. It says, oh God of Israel, come wrestle with us and win. And it's, it's an allusion back to God's wrestling with Jacob. And what a blessing it was for Jacob to lose that fight. I, I, I had resigned myself to the reality that at some point I was going to lose. Sometimes you just you just know that you know, right? You, you've all been in there. If you've ever been, in, I'm not telling you, you should. If you've ever been in a fight before, you, you, at some point you, you sometimes reach a point. You go, "This is not going to turn out the way I wanted it to." Well, I, I had resigned myself to the reality that in this relationship I had with Jesus, He had called me to ministry. He'd called me to the pastor, and I'd resigned myself to the reality that I was going to lose. I had said no. But I knew he was bigger than me, and it was going to all end very poorly. But once I resigned myself to that, I began to craft for myself an image of what it would look like. And I thought, well, you know, I'm sure that at some point I'm going to be sitting in some worship service, some preacher's going to really just jump all over me, and I'm going to finally just give up. I'll come forward in this big worship service, I'll pray at an altar, and the Lord, the Lord will just do what God's going to do. And I'll just give up then, you know? And at this weird vision of how it would happen and yet God didn't do it that way see see when I finally gave up the Lord the Lord won when I was wrestling with him in a dorm room on a gross couch in Clinton South Carolina there was no pastor to pray over me 
There were no songs that were sang around me. There was no people, there were no people to gather around me. There's me and one other guy that I just met. And he challenged me, and I didn't have an answer, and the Lord won that day. He won. The God of Jacob wrestled with me and won, and it's a glorious thing to be defeated in the Lord. The Lord led me there in that place, and I trusted him, folks. You want to serve the Lord? Pray big prayers, but then trust God's leading. Where's he put you? Bloom where he has planted you and watch. He will use you to do what no one else has been called to do. You've got a part to play in God's plan. Elisha did not look anything like Elijah except that he wore the same coat. I don't even know if it fit him. I had this coat laying in the house the other day. Elijah, pulled, Elijah, Wyatt pulled it off and put it on. It does not fit Wyatt. <laughs> I'm a little thicker. Sometimes Sloan puts on my clothes. They don't fit Sloan. I'm a lot bigger. I don't know if Elijah's coat fit Elisha. I know that Elijah's ministry didn't fit Elisha. But I know that God had a purpose and God has a purpose for you. If you're here today and you've been wrestling, would you finally just quit? Would you trust the Lord? Maybe that trusting the Lord to take you today means you're going to trust Him for your salvation. Maybe today's the day that you cry to the Lord for salvation, that you finally recognize, you know what? I've been living my own way as long as I can, and God, today I need you to save me. Take this from me. Perhaps you're a Christian that's been running from the Lord long enough, and you say, today is the day. Pastor, would you pray for me because I'm tired of running? Perhaps there's something else the Lord's dealing with you about. Maybe this morning, and I want to invite you, maybe this morning you'd like to come up here and pray. We'd invite you to do that. Maybe there's a big prayer that you need to pray today. And today needs to be the day that you plant your flag and you say, Lord God, I need you to do this. Whatever it is the Lord's leading you to. As we sing this morning, I want to invite you to trust the Lord in your life, to allow him to work. Elisha was given a double helping of Elijah's spirit, but half the notoriety. I don't know what the Lord's given you, but I know this, his Holy Spirit is full and free and available to all of us. We just serve the Lord for he's put you. Let me pray for us. Father God in heaven, I love you, praise you, thank you. God, I pray that you be at work among us today. Father, as we consider the, the story, the, the, the account of Elijah and Elisha, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would give us the courage to pray big prayers, to trust you, to join with your people in the place where you have them working, Lord God. And then, Lord God, just to, to be at work where you have us. Forgive us, Lord God, and for that one that's wrestling God today, I pray you give them the courage. Lord God, the courage to accept you, Lord God, the courage to trust you, the courage to follow you. Lord God, to not be worried about what somebody else might think, Lord God. But that, Father God, they do business with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all stand with us as we sing. I'll be standing right over here. I'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to come up to this altar and pray, you're welcome to do that. However the Lord is working in your life, we invite you to join with him.